0: Anybody excited to see Taylor Swift on TV tonight? <laughs> That's right. Count me a fan, baby. Count me a fan. Well, one of the teams tonight is going to win the Super Bowl. And uh, afterwards, some reporter is going to stick a microphone in somebody's mouth and say, How's it feel to have won the Super Bowl? And their response is going to be like, because they are so jacked up, right? They've been not only on adrenaline, who knows what kind of painkillers are flowing through their body. They are juiced up. And their whole life they've been preparing for this. Countless hours in weight rooms, watching film, training, practicing. It's like how, how could you possibly ask somebody at that moment to say what this event means in your life? It's like their brain and their heart just are just on overload well peter james and john today get a super bowl experience uh, with jesus where they go up this mountaintop and on this mountaintop jesus is transformed transfigured and he becomes just dazzling white and you think about, again uh... you know fishermen and farmers that these galilean peasants were they never saw white clothes right they only saw brown and dirty the white was for Roman senators that could afford bleaching and suddenly Jesus is there in this royal kind of white just, just screaming out there. And if that weren't enough, suddenly with Jesus he's talking to Elijah and Moses. Moses has been dead for over a millennia at that point. And Elijah hasn't been seen in over 600 years. So what does this mean about death and life and in God and it's just all so overwhelming for them that their brains can scarcely keep up and their hearts are too full. And so their, their response is, it's, it's good to be here, it's good. And, and not knowing what else to say, like, can, you know, the equivalent of can we make you tea and coffee, can, can we do something, can we build some tents, can we stay here? Again they're so overwhelmed. Mark, lets us know that they didn't know what they were saying for they were terrified in this moment they're trying to again process this beauty yet figure out what does this mean for our lives what is going on here the dead are alive in Christ what's what's happening here who is Jesus anyway what does this mean for our lives Again and again in life, we get to these moments where, on the one hand, we're just overwhelmed with the goodness, the beauty and the truth and everything, and it kind of takes our breath away. Yet on the other hand, there's part of us that doesn't know what it means, that's frankly overwhelmed by all that's happening and and even a bit afraid. I think about all the milestones that, that children go through for parents. You know, the, the first time a child can walk on their own, the parents have this moment of joy, my child can walk. And then this moment of, my child can walk. Right, and suddenly you're putting, you know, bumpers on every single thing in the house. You're so terrified. And again, with each sort of uh, stage of, of life, you know, whether it's walking or talking or riding a bike or school or driving or going off to leaving home and so forth there's the excitement but there's also terror or the times in life when one falls in love and it's this really exhilarating feeling and you can't kinda help but wonder what is going on and you've, your, your heart is overwhelmed but at the same time there's a bit of fear about it of Whoa, what does this mean for my life and many of you may in fact have been involved in breakups that weren't because it was bad but because it was so good that somebody got scared This can happen. thinking about all of these chapters of our lives, all these moments where we have a sense that there's some sort of fulcrum, some sort of pivot point where we're just in awe of what's happening, but we're also afraid of what it means for our lives. It could be that we got a part in a play. We made a team. We got into a program or a college. We're promoted to a new position. We took a new job. We decided to retire, maybe, and... We've learned that a family member or a friend is going or coming out of rehab, released from prison, or somebody's dying. And it's beautiful and holy to watch them die, but we don't know what it means. And even after they die, we simply say, it is good. You know, what does this mean? And we're afraid. Again, we have these moments in life in which we're both overwhelmed overwhelmed with with uh, something akin to joy but also just in our bones afraid of of what it all means and we're not quite sure we we definitely wouldn't want a microphone in our mouth on national television trying to tell somebody what's going on in our head or hearts at that point well Jesus today has some sympathy and he actually tells the disciples "I, I don't want you to talk about this yet There are many theories as to why Jesus doesn't want them to sort of talk about it. But but I wonder if it's just that Jesus knows that they need some more chapters of the story to make sense of what just happened. Again, Jesus knows they need some more pages in this story before it, it makes sense. So much of life, as it turned out, we have to live life facing forward, but we almost only ever understand life not in the moment but looking back. Again, we have to live looking forward, but we understand life when we look back. When I was a, a college freshman, I applied for a leadership position in a retreat program, and I didn't get it. And I was really bummed about this, really frustrated. Um, but, you know, I had been busy and I had kind of just, they had asked some questions, you know, I kind of answered the questions with, you know, one-word answers. I just kind of mailed in the application. So I didn't get in. And at that point in the story, you might have said, well, what was, what was that all about? Well, a few months later, I would end up being a leader in that retreat, and that retreat would prove formative for my sense of preaching and my whole sense of ministry, even to this day, nearly 25 years later. But also, when I look back, I needed to have that experience of not getting into that program because the next time I applied for a program, I made sure that I did my application right. And I got into that program and I don't think I would have had I mailed that one in either again in life it's so amazing how we're able just with sometimes just a few months sometimes it's longer but able to see kind of why things transpired or or understand kind of why this was part of our our story so so maybe Jesus is just simply acknowledging the the reality that that at any given moment we don't always know with all of these streams of of things happening in our lives in our work and in our family really where we are much what God is doing and so we just need to wait for some more pages to turn and then things will begin to make sense. But Jesus here doesn't simply say just wait some time. He says that they need to wait until after he has died and has risen from the dead. Again they have to wait until he has died and has risen from the dead. And that's because for Jesus in his life, nothing really makes full sense until we have witnessed and understood and heard the part of the story where he has died and has risen. Because if we just have Peter, James, and John at this point, and they're in this story, and and all that they know is this story, then, then they will be tempted to think, Ah, Jesus is with Elijah and Moses and Moses was the great lawgiver the great teacher and both Moses and Elijah stood up to the kings of old and led the people forth and so they would be tempted to think ah now Jesus among these three he must be the new Moses the new people, to be our teacher, the new Elijah, to lead us in the rebellion against the worldly powers. Again, they would have these conceptions that he was this new Elijah or new Moses. But after Jesus has died and has risen, they will understand that Jesus is not the new Elijah, and Jesus is not the new Moses, but he is the new Adam. He is the new Eve. He is the new human. And indeed, this hill that he's got to go on, he he will have to go back to a hill, but it won't be to hear that he is the beloved. It will be to hear the crowd chant, crucify him and save yourself. And on that mountain, he will have to do what Moses and Elijah could not, and that is bear the sins of the world, yours and mine, in his body. And the glow that he has on transfiguration is just the slightest bit of foreshadowing, a foretaste of the feast to come, of the glory. Glory that is the resurrection. You see, after Jesus has died on the cross and after the empty tomb, suddenly this makes a bit more sense of what is going on. But also for Peter, James, and John, this story will not make sense in their life until after the cross and the resurrection. Peter, James, and John have a unique sort of privilege and that is that all three of them say something really dumb to Jesus in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Right? They, they do it. And each one of them basically asks or says something that means that they think this whole thing with Jesus is about them becoming glorious and having honor. James and John, can we sit at your right and your left? Peter, you don't want to go to the cross. That's not what you need to do. Again, they're hoping for their own glory and honor. And if we just had this event, they would think that now they were the special disciples, the one who had seen Jesus glowing. But after the death and resurrection, now they can look back and they can say, you know, Elijah was sent into exile, Moses was sent into exile, Jesus was killed. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a leader in this movement means that there will be a cost. And Peter, James, and John will pay dearly for their faith. Again, it will only be in light of the story of Jesus' death and resurrection that this event in their life will make sense. And I'd like to offer that in your life. As you likely this day are facing something or are going through something where you're not quite sure what it means. You've had some event, I'm I'm, I'm sure you all have it, where there's something going on, where there's something beautiful, something overwhelming but also causing you to be a bit afraid. Again we all have these in our lives and we're trying to figure out what does it mean? What are you calling me Lord? What is the next step? Where are you? What does this again all mean? And so we're all sort of caught there. My invitation and my counsel is to try to understand your life then in terms of this story of Jesus dying and rising, to interpret your life through the lens of Jesus' cross and empty tomb. This week, somebody came to me and said to me, Pastor, you have a person in your church, and, and years ago this person was, was very mean to me, even cruel. And, and, I, and I struggle today to sort of see them in a positive light almost insinuating that I should not see them in a positive light. But I understood. I understood and, and it was an honest admission and I got it. And, and the thing is as a pastor I have plenty of reason for cynicism because each week I learn of one more of you who something's going on in your life. Where some marriage is, is coming apart even for unfaithfulness. I, I, I hear about a ways in which you have been bullied in your past or in your present where you have faced people that are abusive. I, I learn about the ways in which our bodies don't cooperate and the power of disease. And addictions and all of this stuff again like a week doesn't go by in which I learn more data about kind of what's a mess in our lives and in our homes and so if, if somebody has a reason to be cynical to believe in the hardness of the human heart count me as one of them you see the cross exists in our life and there are all sorts of parts of our lives where where they're not yeah they're are these sort of these loose ends of of real hurt where death had its power, where the powers of sin that we did things in our lives that we were embarrassed and ashamed of and we don't see what the purpose was in them. We've been hurt by others or we've seen the way in which prejudice or injustice kind of corrupt a broader society, blocking people from what God has called them to do. Again, we, we witness this and so yes, count me among those who, who know the cross, who who have a reason could have a reason to be cynical but then I said to this person so I get it I get it that the people are are hard of hard I've, I've seen this again and again but I but I also I also see that that there's this this mercy that's alive in this world and then I've seen people who are, who are somehow touched and, or, or even through the, the challenges that something cracks them open and they become more humble and more caring and more patient. And so I've, I've seen mercy that just interrupts our lives. I've seen this story of death and resurrection. I've seen where parts of our story are redeemed, where God brings love out of hurt and out of even death. So I want to share with you the, what I saw this last week where, where I saw, again, the story of death and resurrection, where I saw God at work somehow transforming and redeeming these loose, broken strands of our lives that we don't know what to do with. Because again, we, we all have them. We all have that, that, that thing that didn't work and it just seems like a, a blunted edge, a failure, that relationship that stalled out, that hurt, that sin, that, that wound that just won't heal. Again, we, we all have them. And so, so I want to share with you how I saw this week some stitching back together, some, some circling of this circle by the Lord. Well, I was giving communion last week and and as I was giving communion, out of the corner of my eye, I saw somebody else. And uh, the person who I saw out of the corner of my eye had, has just lost a son to death. And then I looked at the person ahead of me, and I realized that this person had also lost a son to death. And I can't think of anything sadder than losing a child to death. So I'm looking at these two, and, I, and, I, and I'm realizing that, that they're, they're coming to this table with, with something profoundly in common. And then I'm thinking, too, of this eternal circle of communion, and and my mind is starting to be kind of overwhelmed by by sort of the beauty of it all. But after church, I I introduced them to each other. And I said, you know, you you both have lost a son. And in, in that moment, sure, there were probably words that were something along the lines of, hey, this is really bad, but you'll get through it. But it was just this acknowledgment that two people suddenly had this pain and they weren't alone. And that the one who had been longer on the healing curve again could, could look at the other and say, the Lord, will, the Lord will be with us. And I saw in that moment that the Lord was bringing love out of death, was bringing healing out of pain and was somehow redeeming, taking that part of the story that didn't quite make sense and, and weaving it back together. So in our lives, when we come to stuff that we can't quite understand and we know that we're on holy ground, we we can rejoice even if we can't make full sense of it and we can simply say it is good and we can give God thanks for it. But again, when it comes to those, those parts, and maybe even though the same part of the story where we're just not sure what's, what's going on and there's this, this piece that just doesn't seem to want to fit into the broader story, it just seems in a painful dead end that just kind of lingers, that we can know that somehow that God will redeem this. And this is the promise of the story of the cross and the empty tomb that somehow all will be made well in these stitches of our lives will be woven back together by the one who this day we know to be the beloved. The beloved one who dies and who rises for us. Amen.